one of my most favorite people in all of the world, and he should be yours as well. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we talked about him last week. We've been talking about discipleship, and we've been going through the character and the nature of God. So we talked about the Father. We talked about the Son. Last week, we kind of started the whole process on the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to take into kind of Holy Spirit 2.0, just to broaden it out a little bit. Um, first thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit, say with me, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. is a person. He's not an it, an essence, or a thing. He's a person. How do we know he's a person? Because the Bible tells us he has a mind. Romans, he who searches the hearts and mind, he searches the hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit. Spirit intercedes for us. So he has a mind. He has a will. Spirit does all these things as he wills. He speaks, Christian. He who has an ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's speaking, forever speaking. The Holy Spirit teaches us and He leads us like a person. He directs us. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit, He, the Holy Spirit comes, He, again, person, personal, He's personified, He will lead you into all truth. He will not speak of His own authority. Whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things to come. He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. What a beautiful thing. He can be grieved and insulted. This is important. As a, spirit, as a person, you can be grieved and you can be insulted, can't you? The Holy Spirit is the same way. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We can insult the Holy Spirit. People who reject Jesus when grace is shed upon their hearts. Hebrews tells us that, we, that that person, when you reject the gospel, when it's preached to you, when, it, when the Spirit of God opens the heart, the gospel simply in the simplest form is you are lost you are sinful, you are under judgment, and without Christ, you cannot, you're eternally damned. That's the gospel. But if you give your life to Christ, you can be saved, you can be forgiven, and you can be adopted into a family. Again, a simple version. And the Holy Spirit begins to open up the heart of that person and show them in some way. Many, anybody know what happens when you came, became born again? Something very similar to what I'm talking about. There was something in your heart that just began to stir and began to move and you didn't know why you needed to do this. You just knew you needed to or you were supposed to. And you gave your heart to, to, to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit bearing witness on your heart, calling you, convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, drawing you to Jesus. And the Bible says when we reject that, when a person rejects that, Hebrews tells us that they insult the Spirit of grace. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, He doesn't owe you anything. Does anybody know that? The fact that he ministers to your heart and actually tells you that you're lost, he humbles himself, tells you you're lost, and then woos you and invites you. And then you insult him. The Bible says we insult him and we treat the blood of the cross as the common thing. The blood of the covenant as a common thing. He can be grieved. Grieved is when we don't listen to him. As a Christian, we're supposed to, say it with me, listen, listen. to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's, he's guiding you. He leads you, right? He leads you into what? Into truth. He doesn't. He speaks to you. He guides you. He speaks of things to come. He thinks that speaks things that were. He makes known your inheritance. What the Holy Spirit is doing. He's manifesting. His desire is to bring you into identity. His desire is to bring is to deepen you in relationship with the Father. And his desire is to manifest your inheritance. So what Jesus says, he takes of things that are mine and makes them known to you. Jesus said, everything the Father has belongs to me. And what he's essentially saying is everything that belongs to me belongs to you. We have an inheritance. 
That inheritance is in Christ Jesus. It's not in the sweet by and by. It's in the rotten here and now. You have access to an inheritance. Of what? All things that pertain to life and godliness. That pretty much covers it. You have an inheritance. That inheritance is found in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the inheritance and makes it known to you. His biggest drive in our lives is to deepen us in relationship. This is huge. Everybody say it. This is huge. This is the driving component of the Holy Spirit. The Father architected a plan. So we have the counsel of the Godhead, the Elohim. In times past, man fell. They knew. Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world because the Lord knows the end from the beginning. He's outside of time and space. He sees that mankind is going to fall. In the counsel of the Trinity, the counsel of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and Spirit, all equal, all God, same, different in nature, or excuse me, different in, different in personality, but, but unified in nature, right? So the Father is different in His personality, but He's unified in nature with the Son. The Son is different in His personality, but He's unified in nature. The Holy Spirit is different in personality, but He's unified in nature with the, with the Father. They're, person, they're different persons, but they're unified in nature and purpose. And the counsel of the Godhead, when man fell, we insulted the holiness of God. This is what happened. We broke the law of God. And what the law is, is the way of God. God established a framework within the universe. Lucifer was the first one to break it. And then man, Adam and Eve, thank you Adam and Eve, followed after that. And they broke it. Casting mankind under condemnation. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit had a council. The council of the Godhead. And had to determine what was going to be done. Are we going to literally destroy this creation that is outside of, outside of us now? Or are we going to create a pathway to come home? They only had two options. And the option was that if we were going to bring them home, we need to be, someone needs to become like them. The bloodline of Adam was corrupted. We were, that's what iniquity means. And say with me, iniquity, iniquity is issues in the bloodline. That's right. We're born of Adam. There's issues in our bloodline. That's why we must be born again. Because you're not born of, you're born out not of the blood of the earth. You're born of the blood of heaven. There's no iniquity in Jesus' blood. There's no issues. That's why you're royal. That's why you're sons and daughters. You're not going to be. You're adopted with full rights of inheritance at birth. When you're born again, you have full rights of inheritance. You're not going to be a daughter. You are. You're not going to be a son. You are. And he redeems us from the curse of the law. He actually redeems us from the bloodline of Adam. That's why the Bible over and over and over again emphasizes the blood of Jesus. What's so special about the blood of Jesus? Because the blood of Jesus is not of the earth. It's of heaven. When we're born again, we're not born of corruptible seed. We're born of incorruptible seed. We're not born of Adam. We're born of Christ. Let's talk. Uh, some of you, Keith Miller was here. We're going to bring him back. Great, great thing. Awesome stuff. We're going to do a little bit more with him in the future. But we were just talking about just some things at lunch, and I said, "What, what do you, uh, what do you, what do you see like?" And he just said, "I feel like the body of Christ is identity starved." And I'm like, "Dude, I preach it every Sunday." So people don't know who they are. I'm like, "You'd think they don't know who they are." And I'll, I, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not even simple understandings. We need to understand the fullness of who we are. You're not born of the earth. You think you're born of your ancestors that go back to wherever you, your family line is from. You're not born of them. You're born again. You, you no longer have any association with those people. The, 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 heaven does not see you born as you were. He doesn't see you born of the line. He doesn't see you Jewish. He doesn't see you Irish. He doesn't see you African. He doesn't see you Cuban. He doesn't see you Puerto Rican, Central American, 
you know, Canadian, Venezuelan, whatever. He doesn't see that. That's not how heaven sees you. He sees you of a royal bloodline of heaven. Chosen generation, chosen in your generation. That's what the Spirit does. He regenerates you. The word regenerate is not just to be made new, but He gives you a new generation. You're not born of that generation anymore. You got to not just get this, you got to identify with it. We're, we're identifying with Grandma Susie. You know what I mean? We're, we're still like identifying with stuff that goes back into our family line. You're not born of that family line. You're born of heaven, Christian. You're born, the royal blood flows through my veins. There's royal blood in your veins. Seriously. Royal blood is in your veins. Who told you different? Jesus never told you different. You're ambassadors of Christ. Sons and daughters of the highest. Heirs of his world and the one to come. All of this is straight out the gospel. Okay? You're not going to be, you are. And the devil lies. Lies. And he creates a suppressed identity upon the believer. He either suppresses the identity of the believer or he completely distorts it. Jesus is not interested in a suppressed identity. He's interested in a fullness of identity. And that's what the Spirit of God has come to do. He's come to bear witness with our spirit that we are what? Anybody know? Children of God. That we are sons and daughters. The Spirit of God, one of the main jobs He's doing is telling you, you are a daughter. You are a son. Stop acting like you're common. Stop acting like you're common. You're not common. Stop thinking, acting, and associating with the common. You're not common. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Not according to your Bible. You're not a sinner saved by grace. That's long ago. You're born again. Adopted. Grafted in to a plan and purpose of God that he had laid before the foundations of the earth. They've grafted into what? Into Israel. That's what Romans tells us. What's Israel? Israel's not a nation. It's a plan. Yes, it's a nation. Yes, it's a people. But it was a plan. Jacob was Israel. Jacob was not under the law of Moses. Jacob was a person who lived to himself, had an encounter with God, and God changed his nature. He no longer became a heel catcher, a conniver, a selfish, narcissistic person. He was called what? Israel. Well, the question is, what does Israel mean? It means prince of God. God, from the very beginning, from the creation of Adam, all the way through the children of Israel, all the way up and down to the church, his whole idea has been to establish a royal line in the earth. I saw my wife last night. Romans doesn't say we're grafted in to, uh, uh, we're not grafted into Judaism. We're not grafted into the law. We're grafted into Israel. What is Israel. You're grafted in as sons and daughters. You're grafted into the plan of God where God would have a royal line in the earth. Sons and daughters who knew who they were, knew who he was, and lived according to his purposes and plans and accepted no substitutes. That's what Israel means. And the enemy suppresses that identity on the believer all the time. And we partner right with it. You sell yourself short. You associate with people you shouldn't associate with. They're not of your upbringing, Christian. You're high-born. You're high-born. Why are you walking with turkeys when you're called to fly with eagles? <laughs> Keith told me when we were having lunch, he said, he goes, I love this church. He goes, they, they, I can tell. He's like, I can tell them deep things and they don't flinch. That's what he said. And he said, a lot of churches, he's like, I can't even say what I, told, what I, what I, what I taught you guys. He said, I can't even say it. 
He said, here, I don't even feel like I'm saying it. He goes, I feel like it's being pulled out of me more. And then, and then I was just, we were talking about something, and he goes, you know, it's, it, I, he goes, he goes it's a, we start talking about eagles. And I said, yeah, we got a lot of eagles. And he goes, eagles don't like roadkill. He says, eagles don't eat roadkill. Do you know what's interesting about eagles? They only eat living food. If the food's not alive, the eagle doesn't eat it. Giant. You're high born. You eat living food. You, you soar in heights. You don't, walk, you don't walk in these things. We settle for so much less than our inheritance. The blood has been shed or it's not. Either the blood has been shed or it's not. You have a covenant of power or you don't. Either or. It's not a maybe. It's yes or no. And if you have a covenant of power over your life, then, it, then it's our job to learn how to manifest it. We don't manifest it not because, we don't, we, because God doesn't want it. We don't manifest the covenant of power on our life because we don't know what we're doing. We're very poor practice. Very poor students. And we have to learn how to manifest the covenant of power on our life. And it's an amazing thing. When you start, manifest, when you start stepping into the covenant of power, you start realizing, wow, there's a covenant of power. It's right there. Exactly. It's been there the whole time. Who told you it's not there? Who told you? Stepping into it. Stepping into the promises of God, the purposes of God, the destiny of God. And when you step into that, the Holy Spirit's desire is to manifest that destiny through you. He does two, he's operating in two spheres this way. Number one, he's manifesting into you. He's trying to manifest in you and he's trying to manifest through you. The first thing he's trying to do is he's trying to get you right. So he's trying to do. He has to remodel the house. We like living in shacks. You know, we like living in a van down by the river. But we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, he doesn't want to live in a van down by the river. You understand? He doesn't want to deal with you internally. And so he starts remodeling you. He cleans the closets out, brings all your junk out. Anybody ever move? Right? We have the pile that's going to the house and we got, we got a pile I don't know what to do with and then we got the junk pile. That stuff's going to the dump. We got to get rid of that. What Jesus does, the Holy Spirit doesn't even deal with what he wants to keep. He goes straight to the junk pile and he brings it out. But we have such emotional attachments to our junk, he can never get us to let it go. Remember the wound you suffered as a child? Yes, but I take comfort in that wound, Lord. We got to get rid of this. No, I love that wound. That's where I get all my excuses from, is from that wound, Lord. Ah. We identify with our pain. We identify with our fear. We identify with our insecurities. We identify with, every, with all of our junk. And we don't identify with the power and the identity that's on our lives. Oh, woe is me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Oh, we got to get rid of this curse of poverty. Oh, no, Lord, I couldn't do that. My family's been cursed for generations with poverty. I don't know who I'd be without poverty. You'd be a son without poverty. You'd probably manifest the kingdom without poverty. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. We got to deal with these lies that you believe. Yes, but I believe those lies for 20 years. Those lies seem like truth to me. That's, this is what he deals with. And most Christians can never get the manifestation of the destiny through them because they do not allow the Spirit of God to manifest in them. He does a work in you. We think everything Jesus tells us is happy day. He's not telling you happy day. If you want to ask the Holy Spirit what is holding you, what is keeping you, most don't even ask that. You just blame God. 
You don't understand. You don't even ask, Lord, what am I doing? What, what have I, what, what is, what is missing in my life that I keep making these decisions and putting myself in these positions? We don't ask that. Or what does the devil have on me that he can keep walking through my door like he owns the place? We don't ask that either. Because that would mean we have to look at ourselves. And so as lazy Christians, something goes wrong, we blame God. We blame God. And the leadership of the church is no better. They go, well, it must be God's will. Yeah, oh, it's God's will. Your health is deteriorating. Just suffer for Jesus, brother. <laughs> suffer for Jesus. It's God's will over your life. Who told you that? But this is, this is what we deal with. You have to begin to ask the questions, what is my major malfunction? Why do I keep associating with the wrong people and putting myself in these positions that enable the enemy to claim a right over me? Why do I do that? You know he's going to tell you? You don't know who you are. Oh, I'm a daughter and you can quote it all from your head, but in your heart you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you would live a certain way and you don't. You manifest what you believe. True. That's what comes through your life. That's why... Men and women, we constantly selling ourselves short. We're trading trinkets. We're trading, we're trading like the Native Americans when they were here in, the, in our country and, and the Europeans came over. They traded glass beads for gold. Because <laughs> they didn't know what they had. And they traded away the gold for glass beads. Pretty good deal if you're trading the glass beads, isn't it? But that's what they did. They gave gold for glass beads. Because they didn't know what they didn't know what they had. You don't know what you actually have. You don't know what you have. We keep doing this thing. We keep spiraling down. The Holy Spirit is trying to manifest in you who you are. This is what He's doing. He's a gift. He's not earned. He's given. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's your advantage if I go away. For if I do not go, the helper will not come. The parakletos will not come. The one who comes to you and helps you will not come. Mitch, would you bring me that tray, that cup, and that bottle of water? And would you fill that bottle of water for me? When you get a chance at the sink and just bring it up when you get a chance. Just no, no, no hurry, but just bring it up when you get a chance. Visual aids. Everybody say visual aids. That's right. Um, so the Holy Spirit's a person. He's given. He's not earned. The Holy Spirit comes to help you. Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go. Oh, if only Jesus would hear, was here. All my problems would be sung. You know what he says? You have the Holy Spirit. Problem is solved. It's in communion and relationship to the Holy Spirit. That's where it's at. Right. It's a Bible right there, right? It's like family style. I'm rolling into church with that. Hey, what's happening? Hey, brother. How you doing? Yeah. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> remember when people used to bring their Bibles to church? Remember when that would happen? I remember. You'd always have that guy with that big monster Bible pulling it with a wagon. What's up? The bigger the Bible, the more spiritual you are. Huh? <laughs> Paracletos. So the Holy Spirit, say this with me. The Holy Spirit is my gift. He's working in your life. Say this. Holy Spirit is three-dimensional. So the only way the, Spirit, the, the world cannot receive Him, but the Spirit of God is working around them. So let's just say this is an unbeliever. Cup's empty, right? And so this is the Holy Spirit, this bottle of water. The Holy Spirit is moving around the unbeliever. 
He's moving around them. Para. He's with them, around them. Doing what? To lead them to salvation. To lead them into an encounter with you. To lead them to church, to a place where they can hear the gospel. They can have an opportunity to receive Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is with them. The Holy Spirit is with the believer, right? So he's with the believer, and he's in the same thing, parakletos, para meaning with. So he's with the believer. What is he doing with the believer? When you do do something dumb, guess what? Say with me. The Lord works all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to your purpose. So when you are Mr. or Mrs. Bonehead, and you make a stupid decision, right, that you don't think you're coming back from, the Holy Spirit begins to work around you to move you back onto course, right? Parakletos, he's working out your stupidity to make it right. That's what he does. That's part of the way he helps us. So the, Jesus says this, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is with us. When you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in you. Okay, so every believer, it gets the Holy Spirit in them at salvation. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you. You all have Him. If Jesus, you've received Jesus, the Holy Spirit's in you. But the greatest dynamic, so the Holy Spirit is with us, the Holy Spirit is in us, but the power is when He comes upon us. This is the manifestation of power. So we have the indwelling Spirit, the habitational Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and He inhabits us. So there's a difference between habitation and manifestation. Okay? So the Holy Spirit comes and He inhabits us. He's living in you. He's alive in you. You can silence Him. You can quiet Him. You can starve Him. You can hide Him away in the basement of your soul if you want to. Or you can let Him wreck the place. I suggest the latter. I suggest let Him wreck the place. Let Him rip the roof off, man. Let Him raise what you've built down to the ground. No matter what it costs you. If it costs you two years of Jesus ripping your life apart in order to build you on the proper foundation, in order for the next 50 years of your life to be framed right, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let Him tear you down to the foundation. But whoa, no. Holy Spirit's in me, but He needs to stay in the corner down here in the basement. I'll let Him out when I need Him. You know? He, he, that, that's what we do. So a lot of Christians, they have the Spirit in them, and they have Him in them with measure. As you be to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to what? He fills you. You're giving more and more of your life to the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? He immerses you. He baptizes you. He comes over you. That's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is in out. It is the inward working. Out of their belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. Same concept. The immersion. It's coming out of you. And it comes through your yieldedness. It's not some random chance that the, that the power moves over your life. That's what we do every Sunday when we're here. What do you do? Stand there. Open up your heart. Let the power of God, what? Come over you. Why? To try to acclimate you with knowing what it feels like to have the power of God on you. Most believers have, don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. They get a little goosebump and they're like, whoo, whoo, what's that? As a Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't know about that. Ooh, that just from where? Or we think we, we, that's, that's our concept of Him. Jesus said you're going to be baptized with power. It's endowment of power. The Spirit, it's immersion. The word baptized, you'll be baptized in the Spirit not many days from now. It's the same word for water. It's immersion. To be immersed. When you're baptized, you're immersed. 
When the Spirit of God comes over you, you're immersed in Him. That's what it means to be in the Spirit, is the immersion. And it comes through yieldedness. Every Sunday, there's a group that go right into the immersion. And there's a group, no matter what I say, they'll stare right at me and go, not going to happen, bro. I see it. Every week. Indelibly, there is someone somewhere in the rows. Some of you are like this. Some of you want to send, I say, we're going to let the Spirit of God come over. You get into like brace position, anchoring your foot like, yep, here we go. Come on. Yeah. Others are like this. And then they're like, they're not, they're just kind of like looking around with a little sneer on their face. It's all can, but not all will. That's the glory of the Holy Spirit. All can, but not all will. All can have immersion, but not all will. You have immersion anytime you want. You have a well within you, Christian. The Holy Spirit's in you anytime you want it. Any hour, any minute, any hour of every day. He is with you even when you're sinning. <gasps> no way. Do you know why? Because He's gifted to you. In the midst of your darkness, you can call on the Holy Spirit and He'll come. He doesn't wait for you even to repent. He man- he'll manifest. You ever see Him manifest through sinners? He does it all day long. All day long. Born again, but their life is still off track and they manifest the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is a gift, just like salvation is a gift. It's not predicated upon the person. That freaks us out because we're so used to earning things. We're so used to having things taken from us when we do something wrong. He's not an Indian giver. The gifts and callings of God are what? Without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't give it to you and go, oh man, what a mistake. Ingrid, I told you to stop eating chocolate. I'm going to have to take the Holy Spirit from you. That's it. That's it. I'm going to teach you a lesson. The Spirit of God's not going to be here anymore. He doesn't do that. Not now, not ever. He's with you. He's for you. He's never against you. Spirit, say this with me. All things come from the immersion. All of the power of God comes from the immersion. If you do not understand the immersion and you don't know how to step into the immersion, that's why I say get into the Spirit. That's the same context, same concept I'm talking about when I say you need to get in the Spirit. I'll give it to you in another, another way of seeing it is the immersion. If you don't know how to get into the immersion, and you're going to have it any time, Holy Spirit, and just the power just starts moving. You can feel it come up. You, however, you're going to feel a rush. You're going to feel a torrent. You're going to feel power. You're going to feel some of you would be flooded. You'll just feel really peaceful. Some of you will go turn into love child. You'll be like, yeah. Others of you turn into like Superman or Superwoman. You're just like, wah. Different manifestations, same spirit, Bible says. He's manifesting, but he's doing it differently to each one. And he typically uses the context that you're most comfortable with. If you like the power, he's going to give you the power. Your eyeballs are going to get wild. You're going to be like, wow, yeah. If you're like a love child, he's going to give you love. Love's going to be your marker. River, and you're going to get all teary-eyed and all glassy. Yeah. It's all good, man. Everything's fine. <laughs> Come on, these men are not drunk as you suppose. They thought they thought they were drunk. Why? Because they were just like, man, this is crazy. Here, you have 20 bucks. It's fine. It's cool. It's totally cool. They seemed like they were people that were drunk. Because drunk people behave like that. Drunk people laugh like that. Drunk people love like that. It's like my Uncle Ozzy at Christmas time, man. We had it timed out, my brother and I. We'd wait for my uncle and my dad to get about three or four beers in them. And then we'd go and stand at the table. And we knew my uncle would be pulling his wallet out sometime soon. 
We'd be like, how many beers has he had? Is he, oh, he's throwing his first one. Okay. You know, and then we know he'd have three beers. He'd be like, you boys, I really love you boys. You boys are like sons of my own. We'd be like, we love you too, Uncle Ozzy. And he'd be like, here, have 20 bucks. Here's some pocket money for you. And, you know, he's whipping out money. You know, it's terrible, I know. Shame on it. That's, you know, it's like, we're going to score. Say. <laughs> Literally, we're, my brother and I are in the other room going, how many beers has he had? Holy Spirit comes to bear witness of your spirit that you are the sons and daughters. He is the marker. You are a daughter. You stop settling, daughter. Stop settling, son. Rise to the level of your birth. Good God Almighty. Can we rise to the level of our birth? We are high born. You're high born. There's nobody more royal on the earth than you. Princess Diana isn't more royal. You know, she was her royalty is nothing compared to those in the kingdom. Nothing. You are the royalty of God in the earth. Sons and daughters. All of y'all. Born of his family. We don't act like it, but we are. The goal, the goal is to, Lord, how do I live as a son? How do I live as a daughter? I'm telling you, first thing the Spirit of God's going to do is change the way you think. Most can't get past that. I tell it to you every week. You can't, most people can't get past the way they think. You know what it's called? It's called idolatry of the mind. You worship the way that you think. You refuse to have a paradigm different than the one you see through. If you don't see it the certain way or you don't understand it, you refuse to accept it or you will not bow to it. No matter what the Lord shows you. You have idolatry of the mind. Churches have idolatry of doctrine. They worship tradition. Power of God is of no effect because they worship tradition. Well, we just believe that for the past 70 years, this is what the denominations believed. And bless God, we're going to believe it for the next 70 years. You know, anytime the spirit of God begins to move, he shifts paradigms. He changes the way that you think. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Being renewed, renewed in your mind, being able to prove what is the will of God. How do we prove the will of God? By being renewed in our mind. By having our thinking changed, our paradigms changed. He changes the way that you think. He exposes you to th- things that are a little outside of your world. And He does it on purpose. He bears witness with you. He's the seal. He's the seal on your heart. He's the guarantee of your salvation. The down payment of the purchased possession. He says this twice. Once in Ephesians and once in Corinthians. He tells us that the Spirit of God comes in us and seals. He stamps himself on your heart. That's how you know you're born again. Give an answer for the reason why you believe. It's a real simple answer, Christian. Jesus lives in me. That's it. Why is it that you believe in Jesus? You don't need to give a doctrinal assessment. All you need to do is go, he lives in me. I was dead, I'm alive, I don't know. I gave my life to Jesus and now His Spirit's in me. I, I, I can't explain it, I can't quantify it, I can't define it, you know. I can't write a paper on it, it's just, this is why I believe. That's, that's it. That's, that's the guarantee of the purchased possession is the Holy Spirit in our heart. He's the inward active presence of God within the heart of the believer. He's the abiding presence in you. He abides in you. But His goal is to manifest through you. The abiding presence is remodeling it. His abiding presence is, is working to turn you into a temple. He, it, we are the temple of what? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We're the temple of the Word of God. 
No, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, He lives in us. He likes temples. He likes beautiful things. He doesn't like junk. And so when He's working in you, He wants to get rid of your junk. You got to be with that, or you don't. We don't think that that's what the Lord is doing. That is exactly what He's doing. That's why you stop every part of the way. You stop when you stop dealing with your junk. When you won't deal with your junk, the road ends. That's it. You are dead at the point where you stop dealing with your junk. When He showed you a lie that you believe and you refused. When He showed you wounds and traumas that He wanted to heal and you refused. That's right. When you keep lying to yourself, when you're like, oh, I, I, I forgave that person, but you cannot never manifest forgiveness consistently. You're still bound by the grip of that person's name. The wound is still active. The forgiveness has been issued, but the wound is active. And because the wound is active, you will be stunted. Write it down. I don't believe that. Write it down. Come see me in 20 years. I'm trying to save you time. You got 20 years to rate? Go right ahead. I'm going to give you a real clear example. Deal with your junk and be brutal about it. I mean, all bets are off. Let him raise you to the foundations. Let him rip every part of you apart and shred you. And let him do it publicly if necessary. What? Who cares? David danced in his underwear. Who cares? Who, well, people are going to look at me different. I, I've presented myself as a person who was always together. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. Yeah, you're a hypocrite. You're false fronting it all, dude, because behind the scenes, this is who you really are. So what? Let him blow, let him blow you up. Let him rip you apart. Let him bring you to tears. Let him dismantle everything about you. What have you got to lose? How's it working for you? How's your way working? Is your way working? Oh, it's not? You want to keep doing it? Einstein said the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So how's your method working? How's it working? How, how's, how's it going when you're trying to hold all the junk in your closet? You have good days where all the junk stays in your closet. You, you have good days. Sometimes you brace it with a two-by-four, you know, leaning in, but that junk is coming out. You may not come out every day, but there are going to be seasons where that junk's coming out. There's going to be times where that junk's coming out. That junk's not staying in the closet. And if that, that junk is associated with the demonic right... Devil's got cards in his back pocket. He's just not playing them yet. And you keep wondering why he keeps slapping an ace on the table and trumping your every move. Why does he trump your every move? Because he has a right that's connected to the crap that's in your closet or in your generations. And so whenever he feels like it, and the Holy Spirit, God would never allow that. Yes, he does because it's the law of the Spirit. He's operating. He claims the wound. He claims the unforgiveness. He claims the disobedience. He claims the unrepented iniquity within the bloodline. He claims it. You think I'm lying? Look around. Look around. All day long. God-fearing people slaps the card down. Their lives are ravaged. The devil walks in like he's at a banquet. Popping cherries in his mouth, strolling through with champagne, deciding what he wants to do. Well, I'm going to wait till the next party. Doesn't do anything. Then he comes in the next party and says, take the child. Take the child! Are you kidding me? You think he plays? You don't have no idea. You have no idea. In ministry, we see it all. You, you, most people, you know, we get to go behind the scenes whether we want to or not. And people come and tell me everything that's going on. And I tell them, I'm, gonna say, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. I'm going to ask some questions and I'm going to tell it to you straight. 
You don't have to take it. You don't have to receive it. You can hate me. You can never see me again. You can wave goodbye on your way out the door and go to the, you know, wherever it is you want to go and pretend to stick your head in the sand. But this is the deal. I'm just telling you what he does. It's what he does. You're wondering, and then he'll go. The, the enemy will slap the card down, and he'll ravage what he claims a right to, and then you'll blame the Lord. Because you will not ask the question, what is my major malfunction? What do, am I doing that is consistently causing destruction in my life? What am I choosing that is consistently causing it? Not only what am I choosing, Lord, why do I even have an appetite for that? It's not even him showing you, this is what you're choosing. And then we go, oh, I need to, I need to stop choosing that. You're, you're not even halfway there. You need to not just look at what you're choosing. You need to ask, why do I choose that? Why do I have an appetite for that? Why? Steak means nothing if you're not hungry. I, you, we can all go to the buffet line. But if you're full and you don't have an appetite for what they're serving, you're not eating. But you have an appetite for something. That's why you're choosing what you're choosing. And the question isn't the action. The question is the root. Why am I choosing that? Why am I being compelled? Why do I end up here? Or you may be just living your life normally and like refrigerators fall out of the sky on you. Every time you step through the door of success, you get punched in the face. Well, God must not want me successful. Who told you that? Your relationships, everything becomes, it's, it's, it's just this cycle. That's why you've got to deal. This is what the Spirit, I'm telling you right now, this is what the Spirit of God's doing. And He's not going to work any harder than you. He's not going to work any harder than you. In other words, if you don't want it, he don't, it's, He's pretty much indifferent to it. He's like, I'm here to help if you want. If you don't want my help, I'm not forced. He does not force Himself. Israel went around the mountain for 40 years and dropped dead in the wilderness. Never got the promise. Oh, I'm going to get the promise. Not unless you confront your giants, Christian. You ain't getting the promise. Not unless you go across that river, Christian. You're not getting the promise. You'll be like, the, you'll be like the, that generation that preceded uh, Joshua and Caleb. They died going round the mountain. Same, you know what that means? It's the cycle. The cycle of your life repeating itself over and over and over and over and over again because you refuse to deal with the giants that are right in front of you. That's it. You will not confront them. And you'll stay there. Never going into an inheritance. The inheritance was there the whole time. They just couldn't get it. Anybody know that? Anybody know what I'm saying? You feel like you can't get to it? You know you can have it, but why can't I get it? That's the questions with the Holy Spirit. You say, why can't I get that? He's going to start telling you. He's going to tell you something completely unrelated. Say, no, I'm asking you about my future, Lord. I'm not asking you about my past. You can't reach your future because of issues of your past. You can't reach your future because this is where we're going. We have to go here in order for me to take you there. We don't want to say that. The problem couldn't possibly be us. Couldn't possibly be us. And then, then we reinforce it with spiritual pride, you know, that we're all perfect. We don't want anybody to believe that we're not spiritual people, you know. I mean, come on, man. I mean, let's get over it a little bit. But he's working in you. Next slide. And his desires to manifest through you. Guys, if you want manifestation, we can manifest gifts. But the Holy Spirit will manifest destiny. He, everything that's in your heart, He wants to give you. You don't have it, not because He doesn't want to give it to you. 
you don't have it because there's dysfunctions in you then you're com- that's causing you to compulsively choose putting yourself in positions that are destructive. There's inherited rights, there's things, there's wounds, there's traumas, there's ancestral stuff that belongs to the devil. He claims it and he, uh, and he does it at will. You ever notice every time you start to do something for the Lord, that's when the card gets slapped down? You ever notice that? Anybody? Huh? Getting ready to step out in faith, getting ready to go to the next level. You step through the door to do it and boom! Explosion. And then here's, here's, here's our wise counsel. Well, the Lord must not want you to do that. I had a person tell me recently, I had a dream and a vision. God told me to do X, Y, and Z. And she tells me, I started aligning myself to do X, Y, and Z. And she said, the day before I was going to do it, a massive tragedy happened in her life. And she, and she said, she asked her leader, and her leader told her, well, that must not have been God's will for you. Oh, really? Really? I mean, that's just complete idiocy. It's like we, 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 we're almost blaspheming God when we say that. We're profaning his nature when we say that. Either he's good or he's not. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Well, there must be some sin in your life, sister. Where's the sin? No, it's not where's the sin. Where's the right? If the devil comes to your barbecue and takes all the ribs for himself, there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason. Yeah? There's a reason. Yep. Crazy. Being assembled together. So the Spirit of God comes in us and then He comes upon us. The epi power. It's all from the immersive flow. So now we're going to talk about manifesting His presence, manifesting His gifts. I was talking to you about manifesting destiny. Those are two different worlds. We've got lots of believers who can manifest gifts, but not all can manifest destiny. Destiny is what rattles the cage. Destiny is what changes the dimensions of time and space. Destiny is what the enemy is warring with everything that he has against you with. Few can manifest destiny. All can manifest the gifts. Manifest the gifts. Gifts aren't the issue. You manifest gifts. We see that all the time. And I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you where it comes from. And, but these are the manifestation of gifts. Manifestation of destiny. Well, you've got to be a giant slayer. You've got to be someone who's willing to dance in their underwear and be exposed and be vulnerable. That's the only way David manifested destiny, Christian. He faced his giants and he exposed himself fully. Where do we get, oh Lord, search me and know me from David? He didn't just dance in his underwear. He was openly vulnerable with the Lord in his intimacy of his heart. Did David do everything perfect? No. But we see how we see some keys into how he was able to make a leap. Well, he had the anointing. God was going to manifest the death. David could have easily chose wrongly. Easily chose wrongly. Samson chose wrongly. Samson died between two pillars with his eyes shut out. Was that God's will for him? Not at all. Not at all. Well, he manifested his destiny. Yeah, through a salt mine. That's not God's will that he manifest his destiny through a salt mine or through travail, or through loss, or through pain. It's not God's will. It's not God's will. Who told you that? Who told you that was God's will? That's not His will. Dunamis power is upon the believer, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we have three dynamics dynamics of ministry, and we have three applications of power. Everybody say the first word is ergo. 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 It means working. So this is the Spirit working in us, willing and doing. This is the manifestation power in you. Spirit of God is in you, willing to do. Willing to help you 
If you'll work with him to do, so the Holy Spirit is working in you, then the Holy Spirit is also an endowment or an ability. Ergo means like you have the ability to do something you would not normally be able to do. You have supernatural patience, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you have, you have a working power. You have an ability to do something you couldn't do before. That's ergo. Dunamis is dynamite power, dynamic power. It's generated power. This is where the river comes from. The river comes from the generator, the power generator. The Spirit of God comes in you, to your belly. That's what the Bible indicates. And it's a dynamo. It's dynamic power. It's like power where you go, wow. You know, wow. That's, you, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know the power of the Holy Spirit? Everybody feel the spirit of the presence of God or you feel the power of God moving in you? Whoa, that's so cool. Okay? That's the dunamis power. This is the generator that's in you. This is where you can generate fire. You can generate heat. You can generate the river. You can generate whatever. The generator will work. Anytime you want. It's the indwelling power given to you by the Father. And the Holy Spirit's function is to go and to generate power. That's what he does. We don't have to wait. We don't have to tarry for five days to see if the Holy Spirit will show up. He's here right now. Church is waiting for a revival. You have a revival right now. All you got to do is get people to start manifesting the Spirit that's in them and start moving towards destiny, and and you'll start seeing revival. We're not waiting for anything. It's already here. We need to activate what we already have, and then we'll see what it is that we think we want. We have the Spirit of God by habitation, not by visitation. He inhabits us. Old, say it with me. Old Testament was visitation. New Testament is habitation. That's right. In the Old Testament, he visited and he left. He visited and he left. In the New Testament, he inhabits. He's not going anywhere. He's not leaving you. You can't get rid of the Holy Spirit. Isn't this a beautiful thing? You cannot get rid of the Holy Spirit. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can't get rid of him. You can keep him quiet, you can shut him down, but you can't get rid of him. There is nothing that you can do that will disqualify you from the presence of God, from the Holy Spirit. Say it with me. All believers have the power of the Holy Spirit. All believers can manifest the power of the Holy Spirit. But not all will. That's the key. All can, but not all will. Big difference. All can manifest destiny, but not all will. All can manifest power, but not all will. All can manifest the gifts, but not all will. And that's basic. It's, it's relative to us, not Him. Immersion. So when we're baptized in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes up and over us. It's that immersion. Everything moves from the immersion. So you're going to speak in tongues, you're going to speak from the immersion. Right? I'm so glad you're here, Shay. You're my poster child this year. Mina, you were my poster child a few years ago. But Shay, her whole life has been told by her, by her churches that she can't speak in tongues. And if she's going to speak in tongues, then she should have been able to get, she should be able to do it long ago. Am I right? Am I, I'm, I mean... Yeah. You either have it or you don't. And I'm like, no, nah, come to Firestarters. And so she came to Firestarters. Are you speaking in tongues? That's right. Are you practicing? That's right. All can, not all will. And she said, oh, I want to. And I said, then you don't have any problem. It's going to happen. It's an inevitability. It's yours by gift. It's yours by right. It's yours by inheritance. Not ever, some people have to struggle with their own worth sometimes. They don't feel worthy or acceptable. We have to get them past that worth or acceptable point. But you went right in. He was like, boom, there she goes. So that's, that's it. It's yours by right of inheritance. From the immersion. Holy Spirit begins to move over you. You feel the power of God move over you. 
speak in new tongues from that place. You can, you can manifest tongues from that place. You'll start hearing words. You, start, you can phonically hear words, see words, whatever. Listen to the, the, it comes from that place. You just don't know how to do it. You've never, you've not, you're not acclimated. See, everybody know like a fish out of water? You know what I'm talking about? If you put a fish on land, it does not know how to navigate that environment at all. Because it, it's completely out of its environment. You're created to move into environments. You're created to move in this world, but the world you were really created for is His world. You are, everything that you possess, even your five senses, were given to you to navigate His world, not this one. The only reason this world is dominant to us is because the uh, sin closed off time and space. Holy Spirit has rent the heavens, Christian. The heavens opened. Anybody know where? When Jesus was, what happened? The heavens were rent. For the first time since the fall of man, the heavens were open. And the two worlds could now be one. That's right. The heavens are rent. The prophets used to declare, oh, rend the heavens and come down. Rend the heavens that we would know you. Rend the heavens that the veil's torn. The heavens are rent. You can now access the world that you were created for. Man was created to be an arbiter between two worlds. That's the, that's the primary function of our creation. Man was to live between heaven and earth. He was to be the arbiter, the priest, the minister of from one world to the other, from one world to the other. That's why we're fishers of men. You guys hear me say it? Why fishers of men? Why aren't we hunters of deer or planters of trees? or Why aren't we shepherds? That would be a great analogy. We're fishers of men because it's a prophetic statement to the believer, to those that will hear that you, but be, be, by being a fisher of men, your call is to pull from one world into the other. That's the idea. That's the idea. You get it? That's, that, that's the prophetic analogy. But most Christians is like, woo! Churches is like, woo! But if you connect everything into the supernatural and you connect it to the kingdom dynamic, all of this stuff begins to line up and it makes perfect sense. And it lines up in sequence. Man was created to stand between two worlds. Who told you you're in this world waiting for his to come? You have access to his world right now. And your call is to arbit that world on earth as it is in heaven. That's your role. That's your role. What does that mean? That is a huge, huge undertaking. But that is what we're called to explore. From his world to ours. From his mind to ours. From his heart to ours. From his place to our place. That's, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're created to be. Nobody else can stand between two worlds but the believer. Nobody else has access to the fullness of the realm of the spirit but the believer. Why do you neglect it? Why? You should be immersing every chance you get. You should be swimming in it. And a church, even charismatic churches, they go, it might get too weird, Kevin. Got to be careful of that. It might get a little weird. You know, well, maybe it's going to get weird. But we're weird already, right? So it's, it's already, we've kind of already left the, we've already left the station on weird, Right? We're already weird. We're already uptight, stoic. That's a little weird, right? <laughs> Dunamis power and exousia. Say exousia. Exousia is exerted power. So we have the Holy Spirit generating power, moving over us. And when you go to lay hands on people, it's the transference of power. That's the laying on of hands is exousia. It's a primary. Hebrew says it's a basic of our faith. The foundational faith doctrine of the laying on of hands. It's something we should understand. It's the releasing of power. Say it with me. The power, power. is in the anointing, in not in the prayer. That's right. When you're praying for someone, the power is in the transference of the anointing. The power is not in the prayer. It's not in the asking, I would say. It's in the declaration. It's in the authority you can do authority and you can do declaration. There's power in that, but it's in the exousia. We release the anointing. 
So you have the power ergo working in you, with you, through you, supernatural ability, dunamis dynamic generated power, and you're, you're to release that power. It's exousia. From the immersion, you can speak in tongues, Christian. Speaking in tongues. Can I get a witness? <laughs> People go, well, the tongues of the Old Testament or the tongues in the book of Acts. I have to do this because this is my, I have to confront the theological part of me. They say, well, the tongues in the Old Testament, they were speaking known languages, Kevin. In the book of Acts, they were speaking known languages. Yes, but they were also speaking unknown languages. They spoke glossolalia, which is unknown. They spoke tongues. Nobody had a clue what they were saying, and nobody around them had any idea what they were saying. But they also spoke xenolalia. So they spoke the language of Cyprus. And somebody goes, hey, that's my dialect. They spoke, they began to, they used, so it is a known language, and it can also be an unknown language. Well, which is it? Well, most of the time it's, you know how many languages there are? Alex, Telugu, right? Is anybody in this room, other than the, me telling you, ever heard of the language of Telugu? Telugu. It's spoken in a very small part of India. How many people speak that? Like 8 million? Yeah, there's only like 8 million people on the planet of 7 billion that actually speak Telugu. At all. He's here. There's a guy praying for him when he first started coming here. And the guy's praying for him and he's praying in tongues. And he's, pr- he's declaring over him in tongues. Perfectly acceptable. So have a Cinnabon. He's saying tongues shouldn't be, you know. He's praying in tongues and he's making a declaration over him in tongues. And Alex said to, him, said to me, he was speaking my dialect. He was speaking Telugu. He was saying, I break it. I break it now in the name of Jesus. I break it. I break it now in the name of Jesus. Does the guy know he's speaking the dialect of Telugu? He has no clue. So that's Xenolalia. But it doesn't have to be a known language. It can be an unknown language. There's, there's languages that don't even exist anymore. They've just gone off into the, to the, into the nowhere land. There's languages in heaven. You don't even know what they speak. The Bible says, though we speak with the tongues of men and tongues of angels. Anybody know what the angelic languages are? There may be languages among the angels that are tribal. Who said all the angels speak the same language? They may have an abiding language, a universal language that unites them, but they may be tribal. They're tribes, they're castes of angels. They're tribes of angels. Different groupings of angels. How do you know they don't speak a different dialect? You know, well, I just think it's, it's Babylonian babble. <laughs> it's the tongues of angels. It's the tongues of men. It's the sound of heaven. From the immersion, you can do it. You should try it out. From the immersion, you can have dreams and visions, Christian. From the immersion, you can't... Ma- say it with me. I cannot manifest the fruit of the Spirit without the immersion. This is a nice, safe passage for most conservative churches. They'll go right there and... We need to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. They may not ever talk about tongues or any of the fullness or power, but by God, they're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. They'll all talk about the fruit of the Spirit. You can't even manifest the fruit of the Spirit without the immersion. You can't. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. It's not human love. It's not storge. It's not agapeo. It's not agapeo. It's not phileo. You cannot manifest the fullness of the love of God without the immersion. The immersion has to be on in order for that love to even flow. It just is. Let's go down the list. Joy. Joy is inward, not outward. Happiness is based on circumstances. So you're in the immersion, and you're happy, and you don't even know why. You're just joyful. The house is burning down, but you're, still, you're feeling good. Woo! You know? You're, you're, you're good. That's because you're manifesting joy from the immersion. 
You're manifesting peace, shalom, long-suffering, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Here's my absolute favorite. This one sinks us all, okay? In case you're like, oh, I'm a loving person, joyful, peaceful, I have all that. Yeah, how are we doing on this one? Self-control. We're all going down on that. <laughs> I saw you flipping that person off on 95. Don't you tell me that was the fruit of the Spirit. When you're in the fruit of the Spirit, you have self-control. People don't quite get on your nerves, right? You're not firing off emails when you're in the fruit of the Spirit, when you're in the fullness of the Spirit. You're not sending texts or giving raging voice messages. People can't manifest self-control. Look at our culture. We have bloggers and emailers and Facebookers and uh, social media and crazy texts and crazy voicemails. All of it broadcasting from a lack of self-control. It's not human, right? This, the, the self-control is not human. We, we, by nature, are uncontrollable species. We are. We're constrained. And our best we are is we are constrained. With the Holy Spirit, you don't even want to send the email. You don't even, you don't even want to... You don't want to rage, right? Right. And most of the time, and we'll get, we're going to get a little deep, we'll get a little more personal. Most of the time, when you're ready to do that, you're ready to leave that crazy voicemail... If you're a believer, you can feel the Holy Spirit going, don't do it. Come to me and don't do it. And you're like, yeah, I hear you, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> it's bad. So we manifest the gifts through, say it with me, through the immersion. Healing is manifested through the immersion. The prophetic is manifested through the immersion. The principle of immersion is the key to the charismata. It's the key. We're looking at the distant Holy Spirit as if the distant Holy Spirit is going to do something from the distant land of heaven. He's here right now in you, move you, through you. This is the merchant is what manifests this stuff. He's in you working and he wants to manifest through you. So gifts of the Spirit. I'm not going to get into all this. I'm running out of time. But if you want to know where the gifts of the Spirit are, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And the gifts of the Spirit is the Greek word pneumatika, and it means spiritual forthcoming or spiritual born, things that are born of the Spirit. So concerning the gifts or the things that come forth from the Spirit, the word charismata is, the move, is, is spiritual power moving in love in its gift in motion. The word charismatic, all of the gifts of the Spirit, including healing and prophetic, move with love. All of them. If you're going to move in the Spirit and you don't understand how to manifest love, you will not move in the Spirit. Your prophecy is going to be, eh. your healing is going to be, eh. anything you do is going to be off. Because the charismata, the word charis, is spiritual power moving in love. The word mata is motion. So you have spiritual power moving in love in an automatic, emotional way. And so you have to manifest the Holy Spirit. It's the immersion. It's the submersion, it's the immersion, the baptizing in the spirit, the immersion into the spirit, and the moving forth from there. That's where we manifest the gifts of the spirit. Plain and simple. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercies, helps, and administration. Okay, here's the safe list. I have to. I just, just say it. He has to. Okay. Cessationist teaching says that there are no gifts, there is no power. But the cessationists, the churches that teach cessationism, the, the culture of the church that teaches this, they'll take these gifts and say these are still in play. They'll cut prophecy off and they'll say, oh, you have the gift of serving. Yeah, but what about the gift of prophecy? Oh, no, that's done away with. But the gift of serving is still here. So Jesus is like cherry picking the gifts and taking them off one by one. Right? Oh, you brother, you have the gift of exhortation. Huh? You don't need to go to a spirit-filled church to hear that one. 
You have the gift of leadership. Oh, we work. We, the church corporate bows at the altar of the gift of leadership. Again, I'm all in. I'm all in on leadership. I'm all in on all this. But I'm all in on prophecy. Okay? I'm all in over here. I'm all in on the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. I'm all in on the word gift of faith. I'm all in on the gift of healings, miracles, prophecy, distinguishes spirits, tongues, and interpretations. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The Bible says, want it. Desire it. This word, this is the only place in the Bible that word desire is the word covet. It's the only time. You're only allowed, there's only one. Somebody says, we're not allowed to covet in the Bible. And I'm like, technically we are in one spot. You're able to, I'm able to look at the gifts of the Spirit that, that Ingrid manifests and I'm able to go, I want that. I want that. I want what she has for me. You're allowed to covet the best gifts. Earnestly covet the best gifts. It doesn't mean I'm going to take something from her. I'm oh, like, yeah, I just knocked her coffee over. No, she didn't. But, uh, I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm going to take something from her. I'm going to cause her harm. It just means I'm allowed to want what she has. You're allowed to desire it. Earnestly desire special gifts, but especially that you may what? Prophesy. And it talks about speaking in tongues in the, in the context of the church. And speaking in tongues in the context of the church. So we can all have a cinnabon on this. So if somebody's having... somebody's in tongues in church and they're praying unto the Lord and so if you're in a worship service and you hear someone speaking in tongues unto the Lord perfectly acceptable nothing wrong with that somebody's praying over you and they're interceding for you and they're praying in tongues you should go rejoice rejoice hallelujah because they're speaking the mysteries of God they're praying the perfect will of God over you but to give a word in tongues or to give a declaration in tongues, the Bible says that has to be placed in the order of interpretation. So if I come up to you and I give you a shikamoshai, right, and I make a declaration over you in tongues, that I'm not supposed to do that unless there's someone there that can interpret that for me. I'm not supposed to come up and do that before the church in tongues unless there's someone there with the known gift of interpretation. Oftentimes that doesn't, protestant churches that move with the Spirit, that doesn't happen because the prophetic gift is usually strong enough that that doesn't happen. The Lord doesn't need to do it in tongues. He just says it in plain English or Spanish or whatever. So, but just to give you the idea of the order of tongues, because we all like, they're speaking in tongues. We're not supposed to speak in tongues in church. Nobody's supposed to speak in tongues in church. Who told you that? Who told you that? Come to the prayer meeting on Saturday. We're going to speak in tongues. You guys want to get your tongues on? Let's go. Let's pray. Some of you want to learn to speak in tongues? Come in there, get immersed, and start listening to the sounds that you're hearing around you. Tongues is a language that not only is imparted, but it can be learned. You can learn it. It's a phonetical language. You can begin to click with it and understand it. And then it's like the motor will just start going, and all of a sudden it'll just go, click, and away we go. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These two are spiritual gifts. The apostolic office, the prophetic office, the evangelist office, the pastoral office, and the teaching offices. They are offices within the church, given to the church. So what I'm doing right now, I'm not a gift, but 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 what God is presenting to you is a gift. This is a gift. The pastor, the apostle, the prophet, and the teacher is a gift to you. It's a gift to you. Given to you. You're being blessed. Jesus is pouring gifts through me to you. Why? Because he loves you. He's pouring out to you in a gift way. The office of the apostle is to manifest vision, to take up, say it with me, apostle means sent one. That's all it means. It's like we worship this word apostle. You know, and I feel like if you have the word apostle, you need to have a white scarf on and you need to like kind of 
wave your hair a little bit, you know, and walk around like I'm, the, like I'm an apostle, you know. It's like it just means sent one. It's, it's no different than, than, be, than having the office of a teacher or having the office. It, it's, a, it's a function. The, the apostolic office is the building office. It's the office. It is the unknown work. It is the pioneering work. It is sent with authority, sent with message, sent with purpose. It's those who do what is not there. These are your vision casters. These are your kingdom builders. Let's plant churches in India. Let's plant churches over here. I feel my calling is more apostolic than it is pastoral. And I'll tell you why. I hold the title of pastor, but that doesn't mean churches can be led by these offices. There are churches that are led by somebody who is dominantly prophetic. And they're not, anybody ever know what I'm talking about? The biggest one we see the most of is we see pastors who have huge evangelism. They're, they're really an evangelist, but they're, but they're holding the office of a pastor. Because every single sermon is about come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Right? Then we have, we have churches that are led by teachers. But that person has a high teaching gift, but they're holding the office of a pastor. And so every Sunday, it's linear, deep teaching doctrinal alignment focus on the teaching everything's like that that's a teaching gift in a pastoral office the apostle is the builder the prophet the offices are meant to develop the people god gave these offices so the apostle is to develop the vision of the church within the church to develop the probably why i'd say destiny like every third sentence is to call the people into their vision and into their purpose the office of the prophet is a minister that operates very fluently in a prophetic in a prophetic giftedness they understand the dynamics of it their job a prophet within the church isn't to run around and give everybody instruction let's go see the prophet Let's bring the five-year-olds out here, and I'll get the prophets to speak to you. Let's bring this boy up right here, and I'll get the prophets to speak to you. All can prophesy. The office of the prophet is to develop the prophetic ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to what? To equip the saints to work the ministry. The office of the prophet is to teach the schools, to develop the schools of the prophetic within the church. Not to be hailed and honored and esteemed and badged and rewarded and wear a headband, you know, as a prophet. That's completely off. It is not a New Testament context. Most of the time when we see that, they're drawing that from the old. That is the wrong context. It is not New Testament at all. At all. They were all prophesying. Read Corinthians. The whole church is on prophetic word. Paul's like, look, okay, look, okay. When you guys are together and you guys are having these like fire meetings, he's like, one prophesy at a time. I don't want five of y'all giving a prophetic word at the same time. He doesn't even mention anybody in the church that had the office of a known prophet. They were all prophesying. All of them. Shifts the paradigm. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's not up at the top of the pyramid. The leader, if you want to be an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, you want that role, you better get low. You are a servant. You are not at the top. You're at the bottom. (laughs) Somebody goes, well, somebody needs to tell some of these guys. I'm like, I know. A few of these guys need to know. Like, look, dude, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. There's one rock star and his name's Jesus. You need to go low. So the idea of an evangelist, an evangelist within the church is not just to do evangelism. The evangelist within the church is to develop evangelistic ministry and to train and equip the people in the work of evangelism. It's the same thing with pastor. This is the one that we we commonly use for the leadership of the church or the leader of the church. What the pastor does is he gets everybody together. A pastor, and some of you, I, I can do this. But this doesn't come naturally to me. And what wise pastors do is they equip the pastoral ministry within the church because they know they don't have it. 
Usually prophets are the most insensitive people in the world, you know. And pastors are supposed to be the sensitive ones. They're supposed to, you know, like, hey, how's it going? You know, come on, bear with me. The pastor's job, the role of the pastor within the church is to develop the community of the church, to develop the relationships within the church, to make sure the well-being of the believer is attuned for. The pastor teaches, but the pastor doesn't even need to be a teacher. If you really want a healthy church, you should have all fivefold moving in the church. There should be someone who is developing prophetic. There should be someone who's developing prophetic uh, pastoral ministry. There should be someone who's developing evangelistic ministry. There should be someone who's the, or some, some people developing teaching ministry. There should be some people that are developing and working on apostolic vision. That's what a healthy church looks like, is if the fivefold is present. It's not one or the other, it's all of them. Peter calls it the hand of God. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Humble yourself, what? Under the hand of God. And God will exalt you in due season. There's another lesson. Most Christians won't humble themselves under anything. You know, I belong to the church universal. No, humble yourself, and God will exalt you. Nonetheless, so that, that's a big role with pastoral. Some of you, you have these pastoral gifts. You care about the outcast. You care about when people don't show up. You, want, you care about the small group. That matters to you. This is, that's a pastoral ministry. Some of you, every, every third lesson is like, man, we've got to reach these lost people out there. That's an evangelistic calling. You can have an evangelistic gift and not hold the office of an evangelist. You can have an apostolic gift and not hold the office of the apostle. You can be like, I want to build this thing for Jesus. I'm going to build a home for unwed mothers. That's apostolic, Christian. You're going, boldly going, where no one has gone before. You're doing a work that doesn't exist. The apostle goes into the unknown and creates something out of nothing. That's what the apostle does. So you can have an apostolic calling, but not have the apostolic office. Understand what I'm saying? You can have a pastoral calling, but not hold the pastoral office. You could care one for the other. There are people here that, care, that are just amazing at it. And I delegate it because they're way better at it than me. I'm like, wow, you are way more of a caregiver than I am. You know, would you like to be in charge of this? And they're like, oh, thank you. Yes, please. Please let me. They come alive because it matters to them. That's a pastoral calling. There are people that have teaching callings, right? You can have a calling of a teacher without actually holding the office of the teacher. So it's important to understand that and understand that those, that those things are given as gifts. But those five things are not to be lauded and exalted, The only thing the Christian is to laud and exalt, the only thing, is Jesus himself. The name above every name. Nothing else, nowhere else is there any hailing within the church except Jesus. The Spirit of God himself does not testify of himself. You know who the Holy Spirit is heralding? Jesus. When he comes, he will herald me. He's not heralding himself, he heralds Jesus. So the only thing the church, and the only one the church is to worship is the Holy Spirit, or is Jesus himself. Not people, not places, not positions. We're to respect them. There's a difference between respect. Are we, are we, are we okay on this, right? We understand this. We're, we're big, big boys and big girls. There's a difference between respect and honor and esteem. In esteem. The church has a bit of a celebrity culture. I don't know if you guys get out much lately. It's, it's pretty much tracks real heavy with America. We like our celebrities. We like our rock stars, right? We like that. And again, I get it. I understand it. All I'm trying to do is give you the framework of Scripture. That that person, if they are that gifted as a teacher, then they not only need to teach, they need to develop teaching ministry. That's what they need to do. If that person is that gifted as an evangelist, they not only need to do evangelism, they need to develop evangelistic ministry. 
It's not about the gifts. What happens with giftedness? Giftedness is easy. Y'all can manifest the gifts. Gifts become a gravity field on the person. You start moving in the spirit, and you'll see the gifts will flow through you. They'll flow through all of you. It's, it's, it's not a matter of if. You all, you all will move in the gifts. And some of you will develop them higher than others. And what will happen is, is that you'll lose track of the fact that the anointing is to point to Jesus and not to you. Somehow that gets lost. <laughs> I'm amazing. I gave a prophetic word in technicolor. Did you see that? I actually struck a pose when that word came out of me. I don't even know. I felt like the Holy Spirit lifted my hand. Did you get that on film? Did anybody get that on film? I want a picture of that. I want that up on the Facebook wall where I'm prophesying with my hand up like that. I understand we're all vain. We take pictures. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But that's not, we don't lead with that. You understand that? You understand that? There's nothing wrong with pictures. Nothing wrong with notoriety. Nothing wrong with respect. It's just that we don't lead with that and we don't subvert Jesus for that. Jesus doesn't come down so that we go up. Right? We go down so that he goes up. That's, that's, that's how it works. Some of you guys, I'm just going to leave you this. I'm a little over, but I love you. I hope you love me. Um, <laughs> I'll just leave you this. With practicing the presence. I have more to say, but I'll, I'll move it to another time. Just practice it with me. Practice the presence. So here's what... Here, let me give you a little thing on inside on practicing the presence. So we were in California. Sherry and I were in California. And uh, we were in this part of California. And we were at this... I don't know. We were just driving around or whatever. And we ran into these Christians... At this church, this weird church in this crazy area. It was a cool church. Nothing wrong with it. But these dudes get out of the car, right? And one looked like a surfer. One looked like a hippie. And the other guy looked like a biker, right? And so they're all coming up. They're like, hey, man. What's going on? You guys Christians? We're like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, this is our church, you know. And they're talking about how they go to the church. And the biker guy starts telling. He's got a folder in his hand. And he starts telling me about this business plan. Y'all are going to like this. It's going to get good. Ready? And he starts telling me about this business. He's like, oh, man, look at this business. He's like, show me all this stuff. And I'm thinking, was this guy MLM marketing me or something? You know, I'm like... I'm kind of wanting to listen, but at the same time, I'm kind of hedging, like getting ready to say no to whatever he's going to ask me. But he's like, man, this is crazy. I was like, wow, that's cool. He's like, yeah, the Lord showed me this. He's like, what do you think? I thought I said, I think it's a great idea. And he said something to me that just came back. I mean, it stuck with me at the time, but I felt like when I was doing this message that God brought it back to me. He said, I was on a 10-day soak, and the Lord gave me that. Just think about that. He was 10 days soaking in the Spirit. Manifesting the Spirit of God in power over his life. Just soaking and saturating and soaking and saturating. And out of the soaking and the saturating, God gives him this plan. It was a great plan. I mean, I, I had no association with it. Some of you need to do a 10-day soak. Or you need to do a 10-day burn. Soaking, duh, burn is power. Burn is like, I'm going to burn. It's 10-day burn. You know, where you're stepping in. The Holy Spirit's fire and He's water. He's wind, fire, and water. He's elemental, right? And that means He's transitional. He's transformational. Fire, wind, and water all change atmospheres. They change environments. Wind erodes. Water erodes. Fire burns, consumes. He's an atmosphere changer. Some of you guys need to get into the Spirit. And you need, I was telling first service, I'm like, what does it look like? I'm like, get in your car and soak on your way to work. Just soak. Whatever your worship music is, whatever your prayer time is, whatever gets you in the spirit, go there and soak. Go to your car at lunch and soak. On your way home, get in your car on your way home and soak. 
What if God imprinted something in you? And what if God shifted you? What if God literally transformed a nature with inside of you? What if He saturated Himself so much with His presence that something inside of you literally altered? What would happen? What if He gave you dreams and visions out of the soaking? What if you were in a barn, a 10-day barn, this firehouse, man? In the morning, instead of soaking, dude, I'm going to burn. I'm just going to burn. I'm going to burn. You know? What would happen? Come on, you're all getting hungry for it all. Some, some of you are like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. This is awesome. You, you have access to this. You have access. So what is the purpose of it? The purpose is nothing more than saturation and impartation. And in that presence, if it all flows from the out, if it all flows from the immersion, then we need to get in the immersion. If the word of wisdom flows from the immersion and you need wisdom, get in the immersion. If a, word of, if a word of knowledge flows from the immersion, then get in the immersion. If the prophetic word flows from the immersion, get in the immersion. You see what I'm trying to tell you? Anyway, God loves you. I talk about Holy Spirit for like two weeks straight. I mean, I like, like nonstop. <laughs> soak. Say it with me. I'm soaking this week. Anybody? Anybody want to do some soaking? Come on. It's simple. I just gave you a real easy track. Real easy track. Get up and say, well, I don't really commute to work. Well, then get up and take 30 minutes. Take 30 minutes. Soak in the morning. Soak at the noon. Soak in the evening. Soak in the morning. So we talk about fasting. I'm like, I'm all in on fasting. But what if we started soaking? I'm telling you, man. I get more out of soaking than I ever do out of fasting. Fasting's great. I hate it. I want to eat a bottle of ketchup when I'm fasting. But <laughs> go through Publix and I'm like at the barbecue aisle, like looking at the barbecue sauce. I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be here right now. Ed Hines 57 is calling my name. <laughs> you want to eat food that you would never eat when you're fasting. I could bite that onion right now, man. <laughs> so say it with me. I'm going to soak. Come on. Just do it. Get some dreams. Get some visions. Get some power. Get some impartation. Just soak. We've got nothing to lose. Soak or burn, but soaking's easy. Burning's like, woo! You know? I mean, either one, whatever one you prefer, soak and burn. I soak in the morning, I burn at noon, and I soak at night. You know? So I got it all going on. So say this, Holy Spirit, I want all of you. I'm not content with measure. I want fullness. Okay, here comes the dangerous part. We're going to pray a little bit off this, right? Say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to remodel the temple. Tear me down to the foundation. Redig the foundation if you have to. Reset the cornerstone if you have to. I give you permission to do whatever you want to do to reestablish me in order to build me into a habitation that you can indwell and that you can move through. I want nothing to keep me from my destiny. The price of revival, say this, the price of revival... I'll give you another one. The price of destiny is dignity. I am willing to pay the price of dignity in order that I may have revival. I am willing to pay the price of dignity in order that I may have destiny. I give you permission. Holy Spirit, I want to soak with you this week. I'm going to set the time aside and I'm going to prepare my heart. I ask that you would meet with me and that we would just have fun together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you.
May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you and be gracious to you in every way. May He give you peace and may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you.